You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, a local body of believers in Quarryville, PA. To learn more about Oak Hill, visit oakhillfellowship.com. Now grab a Bible and a notebook and prepare to be spiritually enriched by God's Word. You can open your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We finished our series in the book of Mark uh, last week, and we are now into our Advent season uh, series uh, called The Reason for the Season. And uh, Katie, my wife, uh, sometimes accuses me of, of being a little bit of a, a Scrooge, uh, a Christmas curmudgeon, if you will. Um, she says that I get grumpy about things that are like fun or traditional. Uh, that's not always true, but she feels that way, and she, she feels it the strongest uh, but I, I, I am a strictly after-Thanksgiving Christmas music kind of guy. Anybody with me? Strictly after-Thanksgiving, right, right. Uh, I overanalyze the nativity scene so that I put the wise men on a shelf on the other side of the room uh, because they probably weren't there. Uh, anybody else do that? Yeah, yeah come on, you, got, you better, you better. Uh, I make fun of all of the Hallmark Christmas movies uh, while she's trying to enjoy them because, let's just face it, they deserve it. Uh, you kind of get the point about where I'm at, right? But the truth is, uh, I really do love Christmas. I, I even enjoy the fun parts. Like, like I, I like re-watching all the Christmas specials that I watched as a child. I, I love driving kids around to, to, to look at the lights and, and all the decorations. And I like putting up, you know, we decorated our house yesterday and, and we made Christmas cookies, you know, we made Christmas cookies and we exchanged gifts and all that stuff. It's all great. But what I hate, and I mean loathe, is anything that is related to Jesus that seems trite. I hate anything that is making Jesus out to be trivial at Christmas. I'm frustrated by by anything that would give a religious nod to Jesus without recognizing who he truly is. And that's why I have a a love-hate relationship with the phrase, the reason for the season. It's usually a response to to the commercialism that that runs rampant in our culture at this time of year. It's like a, a little slap on the wrist to anybody who would buy their kids too many Christmas presents. Like, don't forget, Jesus is the reason for the season. It's used to ensure that we read Luke 2 before opening presents or sing happy birthday to Jesus before serving dessert. And listen, those are fine traditions if you like them. Okay? Don't get me wrong. But let's just remember that they are not the full expression of the reason for the season. And if we're not careful, it's all too easy to make the little baby Jesus a cute add-on to our otherwise secular celebration. We we can unhelpfully separate the secular and the sacred. We we give Jesus his time, and then we go have our fun time. And really, that's just a reflection of the way that we tend to think about life. We can easily forget why why things like gift-giving and candle-lighting and feasting are even parts of our celebrations at this time of year. 
See, these could be inherently Christian activities if we allow them to be, but we often lose sight of Christ in them and we think, okay, Jesus had his part, now we have our part. And so this Christmas season, I want to redeem this phrase from its trite and cheesy connotations. We want to look at the various reasons for the incarnation. Even that word incarnation, which is the reason for the season, has gotten lost and needs to be explained. This, this vitally important truth of our faith. Incarnation means that the eternal Son of God, very God of very God from eternity past to eternity future, took on human flesh and blood. He added a human nature to His divine nature. We, we talked about this last week in our intergenerational discipleship class, if you were with us. The eternal Son of God came from heaven to earth and became human for a reason, for a purpose. On many occasions, Jesus gave us a glimpse into the divine purpose for the incarnation. He says, for this reason I came, or I came to do this. And when he said that, he was in effect giving us the reason for, for this season of Christmas, because that is when we purpose ourselves to celebrate the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Son of God in the flesh. So the reason we want to look at today is this. He came for judgment. Now, when I told Katie the title of this sermon, she's like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> she's like, you're going to be a Scrooge this year, aren't you? But, but I think it's really important that we start here, especially on this day of Advent that is typically devoted to the, to the future hope and the expectation of the prophets. The, the, the prophets of old knew that the hope of God's people was found in his righteous judgment of the world. And Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 39, look down in your Bibles, John 9, 39, this is our key verse for the day. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. See, this is, this is part of what keeps us from making Jesus out to be some cute add-on to our Christmas celebrations. That his coming is the measure by which the world will be judged. And tragically, the world goes on hearing Christmas carols sung about him every year and, and seeing a likeness of him lying in a manger, but they cannot see the light of the world piercing through their darkness because they are blind to it. And it is only by the grace of God that we who are here today can see him for who he truly is. We're going to study this purpose statement of Jesus' incarnation in its context. And we're going to learn that Jesus came into the world to be the light by which all men are judged. Jesus came into the world to be the light by which all men are judged. 
your Bibles are open to John chapter 9. We're going to study the whole chapter today, but, but we'll especially focus on verse 39 because it serves as a, a summary verse to the whole chapter. In John 9, Jesus heals a physically blind man as a real-life parable of sorts. But the greater story in John 9 is, is this theme of spiritual blindness. There are people who refuse to see Jesus for who He is, and there is a blind man who comes to see Him truly. Now, in this passage, the idea of blindness and sight uh, corresponds to another key theme in the book of John, another key theme in this chapter, and it happens to be a theme that's pretty important to Christmas as well. Uh, John describes Jesus as a light shining in a darkness. Jesus says He is the, the light of the world that brings sight to the blind. And so thus, our big idea, Jesus came into the world to be the light by which all men will be judged. Let's dig into verse 39, and then we're going to look at verses 1 to 5 for some more understanding in our first points today. Verse 39 again, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. Now, no one else on the planet can say these words, I came into this world for an express purpose of my own making. No one else can say that. For every other person, as far as we are concerned, we just were. One day we weren't. The next day we were. And we didn't become conscious of that existence till much, much later even. We, we discovered our purpose in relationship to the rest of the world and in relationship to God, hopefully. But only Jesus can say that He came into this world of His own purpose because He is God. Sure, He came into His human consciousness just like any other person. His infant brain had to develop and learn words and concepts and then relationships. According to His human nature, He came into this world just like any of us. But He is the only person who ever had a human nature who was also pre-existent. In other words, he had a personality, a consciousness, an identity. He was. He existed before his time on earth. One day the, the Son of God was dwelling in eternal perfection and unity with the Father and the Spirit. And then the next day he willingly set aside the full use of his divine attributes to inhabit a couple of cells in the womb of a woman. That is the wonder of the incarnation. Just try to wrap your head around that. Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. God the Father sent forth God the Son at the very moment He wanted to. The eternal God entering human history, entering time and space, which had never bound Him before, entering human flesh, on purpose. And here's the purpose. Here is the reason for the incarnation according to John 9.39. For judgment. For judgment. Now what does that mean? 
Because Jesus was clear elsewhere in John that, that his first coming was not to judge. For example, John 12, 46 says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. And so does, is Jesus in John 12 just forgetting what he said in John 9? Like, what's going on here? Jesus is, is clear throughout John's gospel that the first coming that we celebrate at Christmas is for the sake of salvation. It's for the sake of opening people's eyes to their own spiritual darkness and then rescuing them out of it. But his first coming also lays the standard by which all people will be judged at his second coming. Jesus provided the standard for judgment in the perfection of God he demonstrated in, in his very existence he provided the, the standard of judgment in the words that he said, in the works that he did. And all people will be judged by how they respond to the revelation of God that is most pointedly in Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God. And so when Jesus says in John 9.39, For judgment I have come into the world, he is saying, I came purposefully to be the standard, the revelation of God, the light by which all men will be judged. One word we could use for that would be to call that God's righteousness. The standard by which we are judged is righteousness. That's point one. The light came for a reason, to be the revelation of God's righteousness. He is the revelation of God's righteousness. Look at verses 1 to 5, which provide context for this verse where I'm getting the idea of, of light and, and in the middle of darkness. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, I love the fact that verse 1 says that it was Jesus who saw the blind man. So they're all walking past, and Jesus sees the blind man, but the, the disciples also see him, but they, they are there to ask questions about him. So in other words, they, they see the man as a philosophical debate to be answered. When they look at this man, they, they see a case to be judged, a dilemma to be solved. But Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him when the man could not see Jesus. And he's about to save him by opening his eyes, both physically and spiritually. 
Now, John doesn't tell us exactly what prompted the disciples to ask, but, but apparently they wanted to learn something about how to evaluate circumstances such as this. They wanted to understand what causes these types of problems in the world. Why do bad things happen? Do you ever ask questions like that? Do you ever hear others ask questions like that? They are legitimate questions. But we must see that our imagination of the possible answers often falls far short of God's real purposes. In the Jewish community, it was, it was commonly thought that if you had an ailment or a disability of some sort, that you, it must be the direct result of some sin. You have to place the blame somewhere, right? In this case, they have two options in mind. It's either this man's sin or his parents' sin. Because he was born blind. So it could have been either one, right? And so the disciples ask Jesus' perspective on the matter. And in their question, they prove that they don't really know anything about the fallen human condition. They're just grasping in the dark for answers. And instead, Jesus reveals that, that sometimes our experience of a particular brokenness is not our own direct fault at all. It's simply the result of, of living in a fallen world. Yes, we sin and we contribute to the fallenness of this world, so, so all of us are, are better off than we deserve as recipients of God's mercy, but not all suffering is the direct result of our specific sin or someone else's specific sin. Instead, the experience of fallenness becomes the backdrop against which we get to witness the mighty works of God. It wasn't his fault or his parents, Jesus says, but it was the, that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, sometimes God allows the darkness to be really dark because he wants to shine his light all the more brilliantly into it. Often, we don't fully grasp the, the reason for the season because we don't understand the nature of the darkness of the world in which we live. Often, we lack wonder about what Christ, Christmas is all about because we don't really get the darkness. Either we don't know that it's that dark and, and because we feel fine. We, we feel self-sufficient. We're, we're off in our own little corner of the world, uh, you know, in, in, our, in, our, in our suburban house or our, our house out in the country. We don't have to worry about anything else. We got what we need, and if we don't have what we need, we buy it. Or if we do feel the darkness in some way, we misunderstand the nature of it. We, we think that it must be the result of some bad action that we did or that someone else did, and therefore we must find the blame or we must go, and go out then and, and right any wrong that was committed. And, and if we get the good and evil balance right in the universe, then it's all going to be fine. Other times people think that the way out of the darkness is to pretend like it doesn't exist. Or that it's not as bad as it seems. But if we're honest, the darkness is pervasive. It's inescapable. It touches every part of the human experience. 
And that is because the darkness is not just the result of our personal, individual, singular sins, but it is rather due to the fallen nature of mankind. It is due to the fact that our hearts chase after the evil prince of the power of the air and not after the God of light. And Jesus says that the only way out of the darkness is to see him as the light of the world as he does the works of God. He says to his disciples in verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As Jesus does the work of God, he, he shines light into the darkness. He does what we could never do for ourselves. He, he transforms the darkness into light. You could describe the works of God as the, the righteousness of God enacted. It's the, the goodness and the truthfulness and the justice and the mercy of Jesus put into action. It, it is God moving toward us in all of His grace and truth and doing His work to save us. And Jesus came to do that work. He came to be that light. He came to be the revelation of God's righteousness in the flesh. And the righteous standard of God is shining through Him. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, I illuminate the darkness of the world with the righteous works of God. He says, there is a time when the day will be over. In other words, there is a day when heaven and earth will pass away. But as long as Jesus is active in the world, the light will keep shining. By the way, right now, he is active through his body, the church, as the Holy Spirit enlivens us. We are, in a sense, the incarnation of the light of, the, of God in the world right now. Notice in verse 4, Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me. Who is the we? Jesus and his disciples. He includes the disciples in the shining of the light of the world. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Church, when, the, when people see us, they are to see Jesus through us. They are to see his righteousness and mercy enacted as we devote ourselves to the works of God in spreading the gospel. That's how the world will come to know the standard by which we are all judged. That's why in, Jesus says in verse 39, For judgment I came into the world. He came into the world to be the light, to be the revelation of God's righteousness, the standard by which all humanity will be judged. And He came to give light, to make darkened hearts light. He came to make sinful men righteous. But those who think they are already righteous and already enlightened will be proven to be as dark as they really are. That's what we really see in the rest of the narrative. Uh, look down at verse five, uh, 6 with me. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and, and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, 
which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, You put a mud on my eyes, and I wash, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man, What do you say, what do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say is born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, ask, he is of age, ask him. So, for the second time, they called on the man who, who, is blind, who, has been blind, who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, the, it, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, "What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes?" He answered him, "I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples?" And they reviled him, saying, "You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses." We know that God had spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a, blind, a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they, had, that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, 
your guilt remains. This brings us to our second point today. The light reveals the blindness of those who think they can see. The light reveals the blindness of those who think they can see. John's description of this man's healing is is short compared to the description of all the various responses to it. That's where he wants us to focus our attention when we read John 9. There are many ways to be blind to the light of Christ, but there's only one way to see. Remember Jesus said in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So imagine walking around in a, in a really dark room, and, and, and your eyes, you think they adjust, maybe just a little bit, until so you start walking around with your eyes open. And then all of a sudden, someone comes into the room and turns on a flashlight and shines it right in your eyes. What, what, what is the first thing that you're going to do? You're gonna close your eyes. You're going to make it as dark as it was when the lights weren't on, as much as you possibly can. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, all who see may become blind. They think that they know the standard of God's righteousness. They, they think they're good with God. They think they have no guilt. For these Jews, it was that they knew the law of God and the prophets. They, they were people of Moses. They, they had worked hard to keep that law. And they thought their eyes were open. They were, they were Israel. They were God's chosen nation. They thought they were good with God, but they were just as much in darkness as everyone else. Their guilt remained because they rejected the truly righteous one of God. Ultimately, it is their pride that kept them blind. Throughout this narrative, we see four types of this this blinding pride that that keeps these people from seeing the light of Jesus. I want to note them briefly here so that we can check our own hearts for this type of pride. And let me be clear, I I believe that these same types of pride can still exist in in believers as well. Maybe not to a blinding degree uh, completely where we don't see Jesus at all. But like a cataract, pride can create a massive blind spot that will keep us from seeing the ongoing work that Jesus wants to do to save us from our sin and from ourselves. And so as you listen to these forms of pride, whether you are a believer or not, search your your heart today for these four causes of blindness. Perhaps the Lord would be shining light into your heart so that you would see them today. And the first is this, relational pride. I'm sorry, rational pride. Rational pride. The first people to interact with this healed blind man are described as his neighbors. These are the ones who who saw him day in and day out on the street. And so when they they saw that he could see, they looked for a rational explanation. Is this really our blind neighbor who now has his sight? No, it it must just look like him. And this guy's like, hello, I'm still here. You can just ask me. I am the guy. And finally, somebody just asked him, then, how are then your eyes open? 
They want a rational explanation. How? And when they can't corroborate this story by introducing them to Jesus, he, they, they take him to the Pharisees. But before we get to the Pharisees, we need to understand this. Rational pride, needing an exact answer for every how of every miracle of Jesus will blind you to the light of who he is. It's not that reason or rationality has no place in our understanding for God, of God. The Lord created a tangible world in which the, the laws of science and nature work as a general rule, but he, and, and He does reveal Himself through the created order, but He also reveals Himself by breaking through the created order. That, that's why they're called miracles. God is not merely natural and rational and scientific. He is supernatural. That's what makes Him God. And often our lack of faith is due to rational pride that thinks we should just be able to understand reality better than God. If you ever find yourself saying, I need to know exactly how God works before I can believe. Or I need a rational explanation of something before I will give assent to that. Then you are experiencing rational pride. Insofar as it relates to God. It's blinding to the light of Christ because Christ must ultimately be perceived through eyes of faith. Rational pride makes us trivialize Christ as we exalt our own intellect and reason. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God who is limited by my own capacity to understand Him. That, that would mean that, that He isn't really all that powerful that he isn't really all that righteous, that he isn't all that sovereign, he, he wouldn't really be God at that point. But for the formerly blind man's neighbors, their rational pride wasn't satisfied, so they, they drug the man over to the Pharisees to, to get some expertise on this matter, and they exhibit another form of pride, religious pride. Religious pride. The Pharisees take the conversation in a different direction. Their question is still how, but their concern is that Jesus was doing work on the sabbath so they want to know how in the sense of how much effort did he put forth in this healing to prove that he did not keep the sabbath the way that they thought he should and therefore was not from god now we have to understand here jesus did not disregard the sabbath it's that he wasn't observing all the extra rules that the pharisees added about how someone needed to keep the sabbath he didn't keep the Sabbath according to their traditions. And as it turns out, Jesus cared more about showing his own righteousness and mercy than he did about the Pharisees' man-made rules. And their religious pride kept them from seeing the light of Christ. Does your religious pride, your thoughts that, that you aren't as bad as some people, that you are spiritually smarter and wiser than, than some others, that you have been more faithful in church attendance and, and Bible reading than others? Does that ever keep you from seeing the light of Jesus, from seeing how much He wants to change in your heart and in your life? From seeing just how glorious and righteous and awesome He truly is. A failure to rightly assess our own spiritual condition will keep us 
blind to the light of Christ. We will diminish who He is because we are, we are too lofty in our own opinion. And that's why the Pharisees could not see Jesus for who He was. But they, but they still have a problem, even by their own standards. How can a sinner, who they thought Jesus to be, heal a blind man? Some of them re- resolve that problem by saying, well, well, He must not have actually been blind in the first place. So they, they call up the parents. And his parents reveal another form of pride. They, they, they reveal reputation pride. Reputation pride. They evade the question because they don't want to get tied up with this, this Jesus fellow at all. They, they knew that to admit that Jesus did anything Messiah-like, anything noteworthy, was to get kicked out of the synagogue. And they aren't about to happen. have that happen. Remember, the the synagogue was the center for public life for the Jew. So to to side with Jesus is to lose their entire sphere of influence. It was to watch their reputation crumble to the ground in a moment. Has your care for your reputation among your peers ever stopped you from going deeper with Jesus? You don't want to be one of those Jesus-free people, so you just kind of sit in the shallow end of the Christian pool. The blind man's parents were correct. To side with Jesus would be to lose their reputation. Their son was cast out in verse 34. And that will happen sometimes. But But the question is, do you believe that following Jesus is worth it? Do you believe that he's worth that? Do you understand that to be found in Jesus is everything, and without Him you have nothing, no matter what reputation you have among people? The parents don't want to risk their reputation, and so they send the the people back to their own son. they're, They're willing to risk his reputation instead. Now, as a formerly blind man, everybody thought was blind because he was a sinner. He probably didn't have much of a reputation to hold on to anyway, which made it all the more natural for him to come to Jesus, right? And so the people go back and they question the blind man again. And he's like, what is wrong with you people? One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. He did amazing things. Sinful men don't do amazing signs of God. You do the math. And they get irate. And they reveal this last form of pride, uh, ranking pride, where we rank ourselves against others. Look at verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. They despised the messenger and therefore missed the light of the message. How dare you try to teach us? But the sinner is exactly right. In all of their pride, they are denying the obvious that this Jesus is from God. The truth is that not only was this man physically blind from birth, but but they were spiritually blind from birth. They were just like him. And they needed to be healed of their blindness. And the only one who could do that was Jesus. 
but it was Jesus' act of, of literally turning this guy's lights on that, that caused these people to, to reveal their extreme blindness. The, the light reveals the blindness of those who think they can see. When we think we are fine in the darkness, the light becomes offensive to us. Who are you to tell me that I need Jesus? Who are you to tell me that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior? Who, who, who is Jesus to say that we need Him? He is the eternal Son of God who came into the world to be the light of the world by which my, all men will be judged. That's who He is. And it is with, with reference to Him that we are judged. He is the dividing line between those who are in the kingdom of God and those who are outside. And that's going to hurt sometimes. Jesus said in Luke 12, 51, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? It's another one of these purpose statements. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? You're like, yeah, peace on earth. That's what we sing at Christmas, right? He says, no, I tell you, but rather division. In Matthew, his words have a sharper point on the end. Do you do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then he said that this division will will slice between the very closest of, of human relationships that we have. A person's enemies will be in his own household. Among other things, this means that it doesn't matter if your mother or your brother or your child believes. The question is, do you believe? Will you see His light against your own utter depravity? Will you realize just how darkened you are if left to your own understanding? Will you allow the light of His righteousness to shine into your life? Will you receive Him as the light of the glory of God and then let Him shine light on every part of your life? Or will you trivialize Him and then dismiss Him? Will you remain in your guilt because you said, I could see, when you could not? Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. We've looked at those who who think they can see and therefore are blinded by the light, now let's look at those who do not see and regain their sight. In this true story, that, that is the blind man. He's the only one. He not only receives physical sight, but he progressively receives his spiritual sight. The light gives sight to those who know they can't see on their own, also known as the humble. It's interesting, this, this man is approached five times in this narrative. People come up to him five times. And each time he grows more and more in his ability to see Jesus for who he is. And Jesus is the beginning and final cause of his seeing. So look with me at this ascent from being oblivious to Jesus to worshiping Jesus as Lord. The, The first time he is approached is by the disciples and Jesus. He's he's not even looking. There's no clues here that he even knows Jesus is here. And Jesus approaches him. 
That's a wonderful picture of our own depravity, isn't it? In our own blindness, we, we can't even see enough to call out to Jesus. We're blind to our own blindness. We need Him to shine into the darkness first. And Jesus does that for this man by, by literally healing his sight. It is the physical healing and the subsequent debate that awakens this man to his spiritual need. Now, the second time the man is approached is by his neighbors, and they ask, remember, how are your eyes opened? And he answered in verse 11, The man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes, and told me what to do, and I did it. And he goes on about that. It's the longest description that he uses of the healing. It's the most credit that he gives to his own participation in the healing. And it's the lowest assessment that he gives to Jesus. He calls him the man called Jesus. And it's true, but Jesus is so much more than another man. And this guy's going to figure that out. The, the formerly blind guy is still in the process of regaining his spiritual sight. So compare that to the third time he's approached. This time to, by the Pharisees. And when they have this dispute as to the power by which the man was healed, they actually ask him what he thinks. Now that just shows how much of an impasse they were at, right? They don't, they don't have any regard for this guy, but they ask him anyway. And he says in verse 17, he is a prophet. He is a prophet. Now that is the highest human station that they could have attributed to Jesus without giving it much more thought. His answers are trending upward toward worship, but it still gets better. The fourth time he's approached is when his, his parents sent everyone back to, to ask him how he was healed again. And, and this is when he gives the longest answer about Jesus' role in the healing. And then he draws some conclusions that he is a worshiper of God who is from God. This is a special messenger. He is a, a holy one. And that answer can only be topped by one other, which he gives in response to the last one who approaches him, Jesus. Jesus steps in as the last one to approach the man who is blind. He enters to, to fully restore his spiritual sight, and he asks him in verse 40, 35, do you believe in the Son of Man? And there's so much that is wrapped up in that title. We talked about it a lot in our study of Mark's Gospel. It's the title of the one who is given divine authority in Daniel 7. So it captures the deity of Jesus, but it also captures his humanity. He's in human form, of human essence. For Jesus, it's his favorite title to, to refer to himself. It carries with it all the weight of, of the Messiah, the Christ. And the man says, who is he that I might believe in him? I, I kind of think he sort of already knows, but, but Jesus needs to reveal it for sure. And Jesus replies, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And I can just imagine this man falling to his knees at that moment, breathless, looking upon the Son of Man with physical eyes that have only been able to see for a very short time. And he says, Lord, I believe. Notice that confession. Notice what the man sees. 
He sees that Jesus is Lord who is worthy of his worship. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a worshiper of God who is from God, but the Lord himself who is alone to be worshipped. And that is the kind of sight, that is the kind of faith sight that Jesus is wanting to produce in people today. That is the faith by which we will be judged. This is why it is so spiritually dangerous to trivialize Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the reason for the season. Yes, absolutely. And may we be captivated by all that He is and all that He has done because it is our faith in Him by which we will be judged. John 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, the rest of the people in this story did not believe in him. They had made themselves so big in their pride, and they had trivialized Jesus so much, and that is the definition of evil. They loved the darkness rather than the light. Because they had evil motivations and evil works to keep Jesus out so that they could remain the ones in control of their lives. And even the blind man did not make enough of him at first. But the difference was that Jesus changed his life. And the question is, will you see Jesus for who he truly is this Christmas season? Jesus is the reason for the season, but will you spend time this Christmas getting to know the glories of, of what that means? Will you humble yourself enough to worship Jesus, to exalt Him to the highest place? Or is there pride standing in your life keeping you from seeing Him? The reason He came is not so that we could think of Him as a nice little baby or as a good man it was not so that we could sit in judgment of him or control him Jesus came into the world to be the light by which all men will be judged thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9am until then remember that you are loved